Uh, today we're going to finish our Way Out series. We'll pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. If you have your Bibles this morning, grab them, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We'll read the scripture. It's our main text for this series. We won't stay on it long today. Uh, and then we'll move forward through a few more scriptures and close out our series. Have you been enjoying this series? Okay. I'm going to need your help this morning. Y'all are still asleep. It's a, it's a beautiful day outside. The weather's changing. Fall is here. My son woke up the other morning and said, Dad, this feels like deer hunting weather. I said, yes, it does. <laughs> Verse 12, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. No matter what temptation you face in your life, God will show you a way out. You just have to determine to take it. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit can help you. I want to flip over now and kind of continue on that. Let's read Galatians chapter 6. I think Pastor Brandon referred to this last week as well. Uh, let's read verse 7 through 9. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Everybody say that with me. You will harvest what you plant. Are you going to harvest things that you didn't plant? No. You will harvest what you plant. Your version may say it like this. You will reap what you sow. Let's keep moving now. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Get a picture of this now. Your flesh, your body, for, for most of us in this room, we are in the process of dying right now. Hopefully you're a long way from it. But your body was made to decay and to face death. That's what, what this, this thing that we walk around in was made to decay and eventually die. And so here's what he's saying. If you live only to satisfy the flesh, you will reap things that are only going to decay and die. You tracking with me? He's using our body as a metaphor to help us understand the desires of your flesh are temporary and they will die. So even if you get them, you will, you will harvest things that were made to decay and death because of our sinful nature. Nod your head at me if you're following with me here. But those who live to please the Spirit, please note that the Spirit is capitalized here. So in many versions of the Bible, the, the translators did something wonderful to help us. Um, they capitalize words that are relating to God. So when he capitalizes the word spirit here, he doesn't mean my spirit, but he means the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and, and we're grateful because it can get a little confusing sometimes. So the translator said, we're just going to underline or we're going to capitalize everything that is referring to God. So, but those who live to please the Holy Spirit will harvest everything life from the Spirit, everlasting life from the Spirit. So here's the deal. If you follow your body and your flesh and your sinful desires, you will harvest things that are made to die. 
But if you, if you follow and you live to please the Holy Spirit, He Himself is eternal. So from that, you will, relieve, you will receive eternal or everlasting life from that same Spirit. Now, verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. I love that phrase, a harvest of blessing. So here's what he's saying. If we follow according to the Holy Spirit and we live to please the Holy Spirit, not only will we reap everlasting life, but we will reap a harvest of blessing. Here's what he's saying. Not just eternal life. But you will reap the things of God while you are right here on the earth. You will reap the peace and the love and the joy and the goodness and the hope of God. You will reap those things while you're right here on the earth. And those things are meant to last forever. They stay with you despite circumstances. They carry you through the dark times because they come from God. But we have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about this uh, th- this week. It's difficult because, uh, if, if you'll help me, uh, Bill. Pastor Brandon talked a little bit last week about how uh, we get thoughts in our mind. Thoughts of the flesh, they just enter our mind. Uh, he talked about the, the pink pony. Do you remember that, the pink pony? I won't go any further youth pastors, right? But um, we, when we start thinking about a pink pony, we can't get that thought of our, out of our mind. It's kind of like this glass. How do you get the air out of a glass? <laughs> you can't get it out. The only way, you, you, you can't cover it and try to siphon it out, the glass will break. The only way to get the air out of the glass is actually to fill it with something else. Let's put this into context here. The negative thoughts, the fleshly thoughts, the sinful desires in our life, the only way to get them out is to actually replace them with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in the book of John that water is a reference to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. So the point here is this. If you want to get rid of the sinful desires, you have to replace them with the Holy Spirit, thoughts of the Holy Spirit, time with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in your life. You can't just get rid of your sinful nature. You can't just get rid of those thoughts. They will not go away. You have to replace them with thoughts of the Holy Spirit. You can try to suck the air out of the glass as long as you want to. It will never work. Then I thought about this. Thank you. Man, I soaked my foot, didn't I? You did good. All right. Then I thought about this. Because here's what the Bible says. You walk through your life. You fill your cup. You come here on Sunday. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You're feeling great. But as you know, you walk through life, it's like walking with that glass totally full. Everyone's bumping into you and running into you, and you're stopping and starting, and it tends to fall out. And if we're not careful, we look up dry and empty. But Paul said to us when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The actual Greek translates there, be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have to constantly fill our lives with the Holy Spirit. So I, I was thinking about this, and I, and I thought, well, how does this relate then to not falling into temptation? 
okay, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, but if I don't walk with the Holy Spirit and I don't follow the Holy Spirit, how can it help me? And I thought I'd give you six things that, that, that the Holy Spirit does with me when, to alert me when I'm getting off track. People say, well, Pastor Ryan, how do you hear from God? Let me, let me, can I give you six really quickly of ways the Holy Spirit alerts me or he gets my attention that something may be off? You might want to write these down. If you're following on our app, these should be on our notes if you're watching online. Number one, he will utilize your conscience. Your conscience. Uh, there, there, there's, there, there's something in your mind. All men, has, all men have it. But there's something in your mind that is a check, like maybe I shouldn't do this. It's, it's your conscience, and it says, uh, no, that's probably not something we should do right there. This might have a bad impact. That's, that your conscience is something God put in you, and he will utilize it to help you decipher between right and wrong. So number one is your conscience. Your conscience is not God, but he will use your conscience. Number two, the old-timers called it a check. A check. When I was growing up, and, and still today, my dad will tell me, I will be praying about something. He said, son, do you have a check in your spirit? Has anybody ever heard that term? And it's just that, that, that stop, that something inside of you that says, wait a minute here. It's not your conscience because it may not be a right or wrong issue, but it's a check where the Holy Spirit just pauses you for a moment to reexamine. If you feel that check in your life, you should never make a decision of any kind, big or small, if the Holy Spirit has given you a check or a pause in your life. Number three, an interruption. Now, let's put it back in a context here. We're trying not to be tempted. Those thoughts are overwhelming us and they're overtaking us and we're struggling and we're in that process of temptation. If you remember the thought, the imagination, the justification, the choice, and then the sin, we're somewhere in there. But here's what God will do. He will send you an interruption to change what was going on in your mind. Maybe your phone will ring. Maybe somebody shouts at you from across the hallway. Maybe something in the room just happens to fall. I don't know what it is. But in my life, when, when I am struggling and trying to get back on track, God will interrupt me in some way. It might be a person or a thing. It doesn't matter, but it causes me to step out for just a moment, snap out of the thoughts I was in long enough for the Holy Spirit to say, hey, hey, let's not do that right there. An interruption. Interruption. Number four, he will speak to you with his voice. He'll just say to you, don't do that. You're better than this. Let me help you. You can make it through. God often speaks in a small, quiet voice, we have to be listening in order to hear it. If you're not listening, you may miss it. But if we, if we live a life that is constantly listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, He'll lead you and He'll guide you. Number five, physical signs. Physical signs, what do you mean by that? You ever been about to do something and you were, and you were facing a temptation? You knew it wasn't right, but you were struggling and you knew you were headed down that path that I'm about to do it. And suddenly, maybe you get a little sick at your stomach. You start to get a little nervous. You start to get a little anxious. Uh, you, you, you start to kind of look around and, and dance around. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit using your body to alert you. Hey, this is not right. This is not right. This is not right. This is not right. Don't do it. If you're, if you're facing a temptation in your life, maybe this week, 
and, and you are struggling, you're trying not to, but suddenly you get a physical sign. Maybe you start sweating, right? A physical sign. Ask yourself, could that be the Holy Spirit trying to speak to me and stop me and give me a way out? And number six, he uses scripture. He uses scripture. I love this verse, and, and I'll read it to you. From the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Verse 10. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. Here's what he's saying. If I want to stay pure, if I want to not fall into that temptation, then I have to uh, stay in your word. I've got to utilize your word. And sometimes it feels like God is far away from you, but we can always go back to the anchor of the word of God. <clears throat> Don't let me wander from your commands. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We, we hide it in our heart that when we need it, it's there to come out. The question is, do you actually, have you actually hidden the word of God in your heart? How's it going to come out if you never put it in? We harvest what we plant. If you've been putting in the word of God, when you need it, it will come out of you. But if you've not been putting in the word of God, when you need it, there will be nothing to come out. There will be no harvest to reap. So what are you planting? What are you planting in your life? Are you planting the things of God? Are you, are you expect, can you uh, legitimately expect to harvest the things of God, the word of God? Are you putting in the work? See, what we learn from this, this verse here is that you have to put in the work ahead of time so that when you need it, it's there. You know that both of my kids play sports, and, and we love to watch sports and play sports, and we're, and we're teaching about this, and we're working on, with them right now um, on, on, with one of them on really understanding the value of working out and practice. Because how many of you know most kids do not like to practice? They only like to play the game. And do we ever really, most of us don't ever grow out of it. I know there's a few of you in this room that just get a high off of working out. We will try to resist the temptation to hate you right now. But for most people, they don't enjoy the working out, the, the, the putting in the work, the, the, the practice time. We only want to play the game. We only want the excitement and the energy of the game. Here's the problem. If you go through your life and, and when you're facing the temptation, that's the game. That's when it matters. If you haven't done the work ahead of time, if you haven't put in the work in the gym, if you haven't done the fundamentals, if you haven't studied scripture, if you haven't spent time with God, if you haven't done the work in the gym, then all of a sudden you get into the game and you can't produce like the people around you. You can't overcome like the people around you. And you say, well, why does that person, they, they never seem to fall into trouble. Maybe it's because they're putting in the work and you're not. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too straight with you today, but let's just, I mean, we cannot expect to harvest what we have not planted. We have to do the work first so that when we go into the test or the trial or the temptation or the struggle, when you go to work tomorrow, why is coming to church on Sunday so important? Important, It's so that you can fill yourself up. What are we doing this morning? We are working out. We are hitting the weights and we are getting ready to take on the world. 
you gotta, you got to be willing to do the work. you got to be willing to put in the time and the energy and the effort to do the work. Jesus, he put in the work before he faced temptations. Let's flip, flip over to the book of Luke. Chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Let's put it all into context here. Jesus is about to begin his ministry. Just before this, he had gone down to the Jordan River and he was baptized by John. The heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus leaves there. And we pick up in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. You can also find it in Matthew chapter 4. Both versions of the same story. Are you there? Amen. Okay. You guys are really quiet this morning. I don't know what to do with myself. It's making me a little uneasy. (laughs) Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. I, I love this. Full of the Holy Spirit. His cup was full. Returned from the Jordan River, he was led by the Spirit. Who led him? Notice again, it is capitalized. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself was led by the Holy Spirit. He's not asking you to do something he was unwilling to do himself. He was led into the wilderness uh, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. Uh, theologians tell us that these words very hungry uh, back up one verse these words very hungry basically mean he was starving to death Jesus wasn't just I don't know if you've ever gone 40 days without eating listen if I go till lunch and don't eat I feel like I'm starving to death Jesus is 40 days in the man is hungry I've watched my father do a couple of 40-day fasts in his life. And it's, it's amazing what happens to his body and his will and his emotions. Everything is more difficult. Getting out of bed is more difficult. He, he, goes to, he would go to bed really, really early and sleep late because there's no energy. There's nothing. You, can't, you don't have anything to give. You are weak. I'm telling you, if you had put a Pop-Tart in front of him, he might have tripped over himself trying to eat it. It breaks down the body. Your muscles begin, your your body is feeding on itself. It has nothing left to feed on, so it is feeding on itself. And, And here's where we find Jesus. But I want you to note here, before Jesus was tempted, three things. Number one, he was full of the Holy Spirit. I challenge you in your life, don't go a day without making sure that you are filled up with the Holy Spirit. If you're not full of the Holy Spirit here today, you need to come to this altar and say, God, fill me today. When you wake up in the morning, you need to talk with the Holy Spirit. He's a person, and He wants to talk with you, and He wants to commune with you. He wants to fill you. We said, be constantly filled. Wake up every morning. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today. You are going to face temptations in your life. Make sure that before you do, you're full of the Holy Spirit. Number two, He was publicly obedient. Jesus didn't not eat for 40 days because it sounded like a good idea. He didn't eat for 40 days because he was led by the Holy Spirit and God told him not to. If we don't practice Holy Spirit in the gym, uh, practice obedience in the gym, 
When it comes time to face the temptation in the middle of the game, how can we expect to suddenly know how to be obedient? My son's playing football right now, and he's struggling to really learn how to tackle. He understands we want to get the guy to the ground, but he doesn't fully know how to do it. He thinks he knows, but we get over here in the game, and he doesn't get the job done. He's having to learn. Why? So now we're having to go back to practice and the fundamentals and teach him how to actually tackle someone. Because when he never put the practice in here, he gets out on the field and he doesn't know what to do. He thinks he knows, but he's not having the results he wants. We have to practice obedience in our life. Practice with the small things. When, God, when you get up in the morning and you hear God say, I'd like to spend a few minutes with you. Why don't you just stop and spend a few minutes with God? That's not a hard one. When God says, turn that TV off for a minute, turn on some worship music, that is an easy one to do. Practice the easy ones so that when you get in the game, you can say no to the devil. He was publicly obedient. And number three, he was full of scripture. We talked about this briefly. Um, he had hidden the word of God in his heart. How do we know this? Uh, theologians tell us that he was most likely reading and contemplating and meditating on De Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8. Why? Because in just a minute, we're going to read the temptations that the enemy brought to him. And in every time, he came right back with a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 6 through Deuteronomy chapter 8 as a way to combat the enemy. Here's what I want you to know. You're going to go through times in your life. If you'll put the word of God in, suddenly you'll be going through things, maybe for you, maybe for someone else. And you'll hear yourself saying, you know, I, heard a, I read a scripture the other day that said something like this. I heard something the other day that went like this. I was listening to a message the other day, and they said this. If we're putting it in at the right time, you won't even, you won't even have to think of it because it will just come out of you. But you got to put it in. So let's look at the, the, the temptations that Jesus faced. First temptation that Jesus faced in verse 3 and 4. Then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Matthew actually goes on and says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The first temptation that Jesus faced seems easy right up front. The man is starving to death. Take the stone, turn it to bread. Jesus understands the bigger picture because the bread represents the lust of the flesh. Hunger is a physical sign that your flesh is needing food. It is needing to be fed. It is wanting something to eat. We talked a few weeks ago about wanting the donut, right? Wanting the Krispy Kreme. The body is telling you it needs the Krispy Kreme. It doesn't need the Krispy Kreme. It tells you it needs the Krispy Kreme. And so what Jesus recognized here, the first temptation he faced was the lust of the flesh. The ability or, or the, the temptation to give in to the desires of what our sinful nature is telling us that we need. Bread represents life. It rep represents sustenance. It represents um, our source of, of, of what is providing, who is providing for our human wants. Bread is not in and of itself inherently bad, but remember this definition, temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. Bread 
is not bad. But when that bread cost you obedience to God and suddenly you start obeying the desires of your flesh, the lust of your flesh, now it becomes a temptation. So good things can become a temptation in your life. It wasn't just, it, Jesus was going to have to, to eat. Later on, Jesus used bread to work miracles. Remember, he went to the 5,000 and he broke the bread and it multiplied and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. At another time, he fed 4,000 men plus women and children. So the, the breaking of the bread, is the doing of a miracle with bread is not inherently bad. But in this instance, it was promising satisfaction to feed his hunger and feed his need, but it would cost him obedience to God. It was a good thing but it was the wrong time. After Jesus gets through the test, Matthew tells us that the angels of the Lord came and they ministered to him and they brought him food. The same thing we see with the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, that at the right time, God had the ravens bring Elijah food because he was in need of it. God would provide the bread, but he didn't want Jesus to give in to the lust of his flesh. You can do the right thing at the wrong time, and it would still be a sin. The flesh doesn't want you to wait on God. The flesh doesn't want you to, to uh, wait on the Holy Spirit to move for you. No, it promises to satisfy on its own. The temptation here was for Jesus to use his gifts for selfish purposes. Jesus broke the bread and he multiplied it. But he used that gift, the miraculous power in his hands, to feed thousands of people. In this moment, it would have only been to satisfy him. The flesh is out for selfish purposes. It's not out for other people. The flesh lives for itself. And so by Jesus saying no, to the, to the bread, he was saying no to the sinful desires caused by the selfishness of our flesh. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. His strength, his gifting had become a trap. It seems good and it seemed okay, but it was not God's plan. This is an important test. If he couldn't pass on the bread, how can he pass when they said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from the cross? Jesus is starving to death. All he has to do is turn the bread into, into stone into bread to save himself. Jesus had to pass this test because one day he would be hanging on a big, ugly, rugged cross. And they would say, if you are the son of God, get off of that cross. But just like Jesus couldn't eat the bread and fulfill his own selfish desires, he couldn't get off the cross. Why? Because he had to think of you and I. Aren't you glad that Jesus passed the test of the lust of the flesh? The lust of flesh in your life takes the focus off of you and puts it on others. It puts it on God's will. It puts it on what he wants to do through you in your life. Don't be deceived by the words of the enemy. Number two. Verse 5 through 8. 
Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil says, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is the temptation here is the lust of the eyes. The eyes see something and want it. The flesh is something that we crave from within. It's a desire that comes from within. The eyes, the lust of the eyes is something that we see and therefore we want. He brings Jesus up and on, on this pinnacle and he sees all of the world at once. I don't know how this happened, but somehow Jesus was able to see all the kingdoms of the world. And the, and the devil says, I'll give it all to you. You can be the king, but you have to bow down and worship me. There's so much in this. We won't take the whole time today. This has been the, the devil's um, problem all along. His desire all along was to be worshipped as God. And now he is looking for the Son of God to worship him, which would therefore make him over God and be the God. And in your life, you have to know that the devil wants you to worship him. There is a battle for your worship between uh, worshiping God and worshiping the world, worshiping the devil, worshiping the things that you see. God came to the earth to save the earth. He was the king of kings. But to receive his crown, Jesus had to go through the cross. And so the enemy looks at him and he promises him, get a picture of this, the crown or the kingdom without facing the cross. When the enemy or the world, this is, this is what the lust of the eyes tells you, it will promise you a crown without a cross. But Jesus said, if any of you desire to come after me, then take up your cross and follow me. And then he said, when you get to heaven, you will receive a crown, but not without the cross. The, the enemy was promising Jesus a shortcut to the crown, but there are no shortcuts to the crown because if you take the, if you follow the desires and the lust of your eyes, it will cost you your worship. And Jesus said, no, we, we don't worship anyone except for God himself. He said, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So I'm not going to take all of this at the cost of worshiping God. The good is he would gain the world he came for. The danger was, um, the, but the, the danger is greatest when the end is good. What does that mean? The temptation is strongest when it feels like that's what God wanted you to have anyway. So what does the devil do? He takes what God has promised you but offers you a shortcut to get there. Number three, verse 9 through 12. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. 
Third test is this. It's called the pride of life. The third temptation is the pride of life. He took, took him up to the top of the temple, the highest point of the temple. Now, you have to put this into context here. The temple was the center point of Jewish life. Everyone gathered around the temple every day. The center point of Jerusalem was the temple. Everyone was always looking there. Their focus was there. On any given day, there were hundreds, at times even thousands of people gathered there. Additionally, false messiahs, false prophets who were claiming to be the Messiah. Remember, in this time, there were a lot of people walking around saying, I'm the Messiah. And so one of the things that they would do is they would climb up to this point of the temple and they would throw themselves off declaring this verse that, the, that Satan used that if they were the Messiah, the angels would carry them down and yet they fell to their death. Why? Because they weren't the real Messiah. But the whole point was every time when somebody would climb up there, everyone would stop and look. Who's up there now? If the angels carry him down, then this is the Messiah. Everyone's focus was always on the Messiah. They wanted the Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to free them from the rule of the Romans. This was constant conversation at all times. And so anytime somebody got up there, they would stop and look. The pride of life. Here's what Satan did to Jesus. He brought him up there. And he said, look, Jesus, you could throw yourself off. You see all those people gathered down there? They would see you. They would see the angels pull you down and they would cheer your name and they would shout your name and they would call you the Messiah and they would, and they would sing your praises. They would give you that thing inside of you that every man seeks, the approval of God and the approval of man. The pride of life. Jesus, you can throw yourself off and attain all of that because when you come gently gliding to the ground everyone's going to be shouting your name but that wasn't what jesus was supposed to do there would come a time when the crowds would shout his name they would say we're going to make him king and yet jesus even in those moments the bible says that he slipped away through the crowd because he always resisted the pride of life, the, the temptation to, to follow the approval of man at the expense of obedience to God. We all need approval. But are you seeking man's approval at the expense of obedience to God in your life? That's the temptation. It can come in many forms, but that's the temptation. And Jesus overcame it. He said, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. The enemy had used scripture, but he had misquoted it. He had taken it out of context, and he had left some pieces of the verses out. And that's what the enemy wants to do in your life. He will take scripture in you, and he will twist it, and confuse it and throw it back at you and use it in such a way that you don't realize you think you're following the word of God and yet you are not. Jesus went to a higher principle. Here's what Matthew Poole said, a great 
theologian. He said, truth may be abused to the patronage of lies and that there is no hook more dangerous to the members of Christ than that which is baited with scripture, misinterpreted and misapplied. The enemy uses it as a hook. We, we love God. We love the word of God. So he uses this hook specifically with Christians, followers of Christ, and he throws it out there and he convinces you this is the word of God, but it's been misinterpreted and misapplied and therefore he hooks us and he pulls us into temptation and he pulls us into sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And I love this. The Bible says in verse 14 or verse 13, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You've got to understand something. We get these opportunities, but Jesus faced temptation all the time. Just because you overcome tomorrow doesn't mean that you won't face temptation next week. The enemy isn't going to give up on you. Then he says this. Now remember in, in verse uh, 1, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. I, he makes a little shift here in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. He went in full of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just come out full of the Holy Spirit. He came out full of the Holy Spirit's power. The power to overcome the enemy every single day. When you start doing the things Jesus did, obedience, um, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, re uh, reading and understanding Scripture and praying, and then you start walking through temptations, it doesn't just fill you with the Spirit, it fills you with power. You have the power to overcome. Now, I want to go back now to Galatians. Jesus harvested what he had planted. What he had put in, he got out. What have you been planting? Now, I want to read Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, and five, 4 through 5. Let's read them in the Message Bible. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Why did we, we're supposed to go to verse 5. I'm sorry, you made me read that again. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the, create, the creative best you can with your life. Skip down to verse 9. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. A couple instructions here. What are you planting? Number one, don't be impressed with yourself. The more impressed you are with yourself, the easier it is for the devil to knock you off your stool. The more impressed you are with this yourself, the less you rely upon the power of God. The more impressed you are with yourself, the less you rely upon your relationship with God. Why? I don't need it. I am good all on my own. You're setting yourself up for failure. Number two, don't compare yourselves with others. Don't compare yourself with others. One of my mentors said it like this, beware the disease of comparisonism. When we start comparing ourselves with others, we, we start to get frustrated. Uh, I, I'm better than them. I, 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 but, and, and so why, why do they have what I don't have? Uh, you know, 
I don't have as much as they have. It, it leads to bitterness. And why am I being punished when they didn't get punished? They seem to get away with it. It leads to hatred and frustration and anger. I don't get to do what they get to do. It leads to a victim mentality. Compare yourself to the Word of God. Look at your own past. Look at your own future, your own calling, what God has called you to do. And compare yourself to that. Don't compare yourself to others. It only leads to bad things. Number three, take responsibility for your own life. Take responsibility for your own life. This is the things he said in Galatians. Take responsibility for your own life. As long as you're making excuses, you will never get out. Take responsibility for your own life. Stop making excuses. They may be real, but they're not helping you get out. Excuses tie us down to where we are. The real ones and the made-up ones, they keep us where we are. They are like anchors in our life. I challenge you, cut off the strings of the excuses that are keeping you from getting out of where you are. Are you spending more time coming up with excuses and people to blame than you are working out in the gym, reading God's Word? Number four, don't get tired of doing good. If you're exhausted today and you have been trying and you've been giving it everything you have, don't give up, for your harvest will come in at just the right time. What are you planting? Are you expecting a harvest that you haven't planted? You need to get in the gym. You need to get to work. Follow the Holy Spirit and make good decisions. Three more verses and we're done. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself, you might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down. And reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. As we conclude this series, I want you to know a couple of things. If you're being tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. If you've been struggling not to take what is good because you know it will cost you obedience to God. Have you, have you, or have you allowed Scripture to be twisted to justify what you're wanting to do? I want to encourage you. I want you to know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The power of the Holy Spirit will fill you and help you. Number two, are you impressed with yourself? Are you comparing yourself with others? Have you taken responsibility? Or are you too busy blaming others? Are you weary of doing the right thing? Don't give up today replace those negative things those struggles those bad thoughts those temptation thoughts replace them with the word of God and the things of God but I want to leave us in this one place I, I want to encourage you if you're going through a difficult time but as we conclude this series I want to challenge you to forgivingly restore others around you this is what Paul said to the church this letter is written to the church of Galatia. He's saying to the people, take every opportunity you can to forgivingly restore people. I want to challenge all of us in this room 
to be a restorer, not a destroyer. Because every time something happens around you, you have the opportunity to beat them up and beat them down with your critical comments, or you have the opportunity to stoop down and pick them up and wipe them off and lovingly forgive them and restore them and say, it's going to be okay. Will you be a restorer in your life? Can you accept that challenge? That's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? He reached down to us. He picked us up and he said, I forgive you. Come on, we can do this thing. That's what, that's what we are to others. Be people who forgivingly restore. Would you close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment? Father, I thank you for your word that you've spoken to us today and throughout this series, that God, you will always provide for us a way out. Lord, I declare that this church, that this people will be people who forgivingly restore. We will not be full of critical comments, but we will be people who lift others up, who stoop down to forgive and to share in our burdens and, and to help others walk the road of life. We will, we will stand against the enemy of temptation. God, we won't just go it on our own and leave the weak behind, but we will lift them up and carry them with, you, with us. Father, we will be restorers, not destroyers. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.